0: Every day is a competition against your pride, comfort zone, fear, complacency, snooze alarms, bad habits, bad relationships, and more.
1: What's up, competitors? How great is sport? How great is ball? That's the theme today as I have the chance to sit down and interview author, speaker, and more importantly, storyteller, Yogi Roth. Yogi, if you're not familiar with this guy's work, he is an analyst on the Pac-12 Network, so you'll see him on Saturdays in the fall talking football. He co-authored Pete Carroll's book, Win Forever. He speaks, he has his hands in a number of brands, including his own, How Great Is Ball? And the fact that sport unites us. It doesn't matter what language you speak, where you live, we can roll out a ball and suddenly we're united by a love of competition, a love of sport. So Yogi and I get into a conversation today around what drew him into storytelling, what he sees in youth sports today. What are the things that he's seeing that players are excelling at or players are struggling at? And even more important, what are the parents struggling with? It's a fun conversation. If you've ever watched a Pac-12 football game, I think you're going to enjoy seeing Yogi uh, on the show. I love the guy's work. He's got an incredible podcast. He's an amazing storyteller. And today, he joins us on the Compete Every Day podcast. Before we dive into the show, I want to remind you of a few things. First, if you are a parent, if you get value out of our conversation today around youth sports, I want to encourage you to check out our new podcast, Raising Competitors. It's for parents of athletes 8 to 16 years old and how you can instill the lessons of grit, growth mindset, gratitude, pursuing greatness, and leadership of grooming others into your kids to set them up for success in school, in sports, and in life. So check out Raising Competitors Podcast. You can find the podcast and our community at RaisingCompetitors.com. Additionally, if you want to get in touch with the show, you know the drill. Email us, podcast at CompeteEveryday.com. I read every email that comes in, and I love hearing from you guys. I love the feedback. I love seeing the pictures of you and your Compete Every Day gear. I just appreciate you tuning in each and every week because that shows to me, not only do you love the content we're putting out, but more importantly to me, is that you're committed to being the best competitor you possibly can be. You're committed to showing up in your relationships, showing up at work, and showing up at home to compete for the things that matter to you, the people that you love, and that best life that you're willing to put in the work to go create. So I'm excited to have you here. Shoot me an email if you want to get in touch just to say hi. Heck, I just love if you want to shoot an email to say hi. I love getting to know listeners. And now... Enough of me rambling. I know you came to the show to listen to Yogi. So let's welcome him to the show, Yogi Roth. Yogi, man, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Man, I'm excited about this. I, I appreciate Cletus doing us a favor and, and getting us connected because I've wanted to have you on the show for a while. As I think I shared, the first interview of yours I caught was with Trent Dilfer and enjoyed it and just got hooked on uh your show your topic uh obviously how great is ball as a a fellow football sports lover man for our listeners that are not used to you if we've got some big 12 sec fans that don't get to watch a lot of pac 12 tell us a little bit about yourself help us get to know you um sure man well i grew up in a tiny town in pennsylvania
2: 2500 people probably similar to some of those sec you know podong towns all we had was high school football um from that point on, I got lucky. I played at Pitt. I walked on, got a scholarship. Coached at SC. Uh, but throughout it all, I fell in love with story. And now, I'd like to say that my whole goal in life is to seek and uncover the humanity in sports around the globe. And when it's college football, I'm an analyst for the Pac-12 networks. When it's Elite Eleven, I'm diving into that part of quarterbacks. I'm traveling the globe or creating films. It's all around, you know the the red thread that goes throughout sports and, and being human because i think that's the greatest connection and the most natural connection that we have you know, we don't need to know each other but we're connected on this podcast through ball and through play and the same thing happens if we didn't speak the same language if we were in a dusty field in cambodia i could roll out a ball and we could be boys so that has always something been something that's lit me up and i try to carry that passion over into broadcasting
1: I love that. And obviously, you know, you've produced a ton. You co-authored Pete Carroll's one forever book. Uh, You've got your own show. You've got your own content media. I essentially laughed at like you are like a media powerhouse in the terms and types of things you put out around stories and the importance of stories uh, that we talk a lot about here on the show. Curious, what was the first video thing that you ever created? Like the rough sketch when you were like, I got to do this more and more. You know, that's a really good question. You know, the one thing, and I I just talked to my college
2: coach yesterday. I think when I was in college, I always had this draw towards story, but I was in that weird era of, like, you're a jock or you're an artist. And when I look at games and athletes now, like, I think receivers are artists on the field in terms of how they dictate space and timing and their bodies and how they manipulate them and manipulate defenses. Um, So it didn't take me until I, I left college to really dive into my first piece of legit content. You know, and I was a kid, I used to write all the time. Uh, I can remember the first thing I wrote when I was in fourth grade and I came home, my mom said, Yogi, I think you're an author. And I was like, I think I'm a basketball player. Goes, okay, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, so I'd always been telling story, but the first time I really was able to curate something, uh, when I was when I got out here to LA and I was at SC and I talked to coach Karen, I was like, man, we're, we do a lot here. What if we just started sharing a little bit? And we created this website called uscripsit.com and I was one of the guys on the ground floor of that. And I learned that if you give people snippets uh, into something they desire, they don't care what it is. And we didn't show a lot, but we show 30 seconds of a team meeting. And it was like people got the goal. And that's really probably where my production and producer hat went on. And I said, oh, access content. There's something here. And then as I worked at SC, I would produce a lot of our work. And then when I left, obviously, Um, I've jumped into that type of career.
1: Do you think uh, being obviously in college, you were a walk-on, you earned your scholarship. You had that kind of grit and determination to make your path there. Have a lot of that attitude paid dividends on the storytelling side, because you've got to consistently be not only producing content, but, having that attention to detail that makes someone great on the field as well as someone great off the field. Did you always have that or was it something you didn't develop till maybe high school or, or college when you were walking on?
2: No, I think I always had it. You know, when I was a kid, I referenced fourth grade and I'll never forget my basketball coach said, Yogi, what do you want to do when you get older? And I said, I want to play in the NBA. And he laughed and he goes, Hey everybody, Yogi's gonna go get his MBA. And I said, no, no, no! It's the NBA, and he goes, yeah, 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 NBA. Now I didn't know what a master's in business even meant at ten years old, but it was the first time anybody shut down one of my dreams. And I grew up in a community, and my friends were when we played basketball, somebody was Bird in the Lakers, somebody was Magic and or Bird in the Celtics, somebody was Magic in the Lakers, somebody was Jordan in the Bulls, and I was Barkley and the Sixers. And same thing when we played tennis, somebody was. Borg, one was Flindl, one was Sampras, one was Agassiz, and we played football, somebody was Rice, I mean, you get the point where we cultivated our dreams. So when mine got shot down, even playfully, uh, I went and stopped talking. I stopped talking to my friends about my dreams, I talked to my family about my goals to be in the NBA, and I started to write them down. And I still have all my journals, literally of my entire life, and that's where I began to put pen to paper. And I learned that when you write, specifically, nobody's talking back to you. So you could be as honest or as vulnerable around your dreams and about your around your aspirations. And I really think that moment at 10 years old got me into this mindset of writing is this place where I can be my most authentic self. And now here we are in entertainment and you can play as much as you want in entertainment. If it's nonfiction, you could make up whatever you want, you know, in, in the reality world, you can kind of manipulate with anything that you want. Um, so I, I had this really, early insight into why story matters and then when you got into the athlete world it was hey i'm more than an athlete and in football we cover our heads we cover our bodies and people forget that we're human and i think that's a really that's a key part of my broadcasting responsibility and my passion is to let you know that there's a 19 year old under the helmet uh, like like i was
1: Yeah. I'm curious about your experience because before you kind of jumped into full-time storytelling media, you did some coaching as well after playing. How did that short stint coaching influence or impact the way you tell stories now about college players? Yeah. Well, I think I'm based in optimism and, and that directly
2: comes from Pete, Coach Carroll. I always say that my parents, they designed the clay and Pete molded it. You know, he really gave me a clear approach. If you read his book or know anything about him, you know, he, he's known for asking people, what's your philosophy in 25 words or less, you know, and if you can't state it, you go to work and I know how lucky I am to have that at 22 and I was just with him a couple weeks ago and we went back to work on that and it's this constant, you know, sharpening of your sword and trying to remain on the razor's edge of your own approach. So then you can impact the people that you're collaborating with or working for. And I think that's really vital. So I I really think that's, that's where it began, you know? And I, I believe man, that I could be selling insurance. I could be teaching fourth grade. It wouldn't matter. I'd still have to have the same principles around who I want to be. What's my style? What's my vision? What's my theme? What's my overarching philosophy? And as a storyteller, you need those because you need a backbone because you're constantly criticized or you have to interview people that lose. So you have to have principles or you blow with like the Twitterverse and the Twitter Absolutely. win. And that's to me when you start to play in the sandbox, which a lot of people do. And that's where I think you don't have a concrete perspective and it took me a while to get there, but I go back to that era when I was with Coach Carroll, four years every day, and then running his company for a couple of years after that, uh, it gave me this backbone that I wish everybody had because it was really a, a, clearly a blessing for my, for myself.
1: Absolutely, and and you can see that positivity, that optimism spread throughout your work if you listen to your show, if you've seen any of your content online, and I love how you share that, which is one of the reasons I was drawn to a lot of your content. I want to switch gears a little bit because a lot of our listeners, we talk some around youth sports, parenting sports, athletes, you're heavily involved with Elite 11. These are the cream of the crop in terms of high school, going into college, prospects. What are things that you are seeing now more and more of where parents maybe aren't as investing the right skills in their kids at a young age. And perhaps you don't see it as much with the elite 11 because they're standing out, but you do work with a lot of kids coming into college in terms of covering them with the Pac 12. I'm really asking for the parents listening that have youth athletes that are eight to 14 or 15. Like what are those skills that they need to be loving on them and investing in their kids? That aren't being done enough culturally right now.
2: There's a lot there, (laughs) you know, as you can imagine. You could do lots of podcasts on that, as as I'm sure you have. I I think the biggest thing that I I often remember about parenting is that your child is on loan. You know, all too often, and I and I met with a former Division One uh, football player yesterday, and I asked him this question point blank. I said, "Do you think that?" your dad who played college football and is you know, a big personality now in collegiate athletics. Do you think that he lived vicariously through you? And he goes, Oh yeah, hundred percent. and didn't flinch. And psychology would say to us that when that happens, that individual, that parent in this instance is developing because they hadn't developed at that age. And that to me is a major deal that I see all the time. And then there's a blurred line because what does every parent want? Their kid to be the best or their kid to have the best opportunity, the kid to, to grow and evolve the most. But when you're living through them, they can feel that versus, hey, you're on loan from me. My job is to offer up some tools for you, not to snowplow the road. You know, there's a great article in the New York Times a couple weeks ago about snowplow parenting. And I believe in that now. You know, we've got a four-year-old on his way to preschool. We're interviewing all these schools, and I, and I think it's crazy what I'm going through. <laughs> I mean, that's another subject, but I get the snowplow side of it because, you know, people are trying to make it really easy for the kids versus where's the school of grit, you know, not to forcefully make it difficult, but allow them to go through conflict. And I think that parents now in this era, they want to do so well for their children that they forget at times the best thing they could do is – let them fall and then watch them have to pick themselves up and of course be there for them. And I say that because we're in a transfer era that's just growing even more now in college football. You know, you can claim hardship. It sounds as though at any instance and then transfer. And that's fine for the student athlete. And I hope they all play everywhere they want to, but I think unintentionally we're losing some of the principles that sport teaches. They teach us how to bounce back. They teach us how to compete, through things, and with others. They teach us why it's important to stay behind the line, why it's important to be disciplined and show up early or stay late and have a dedication. And I, I think that with parents trying to give their kids everything, their kids are losing the ability and the skill to chase things and compete them and have this dream and go for it. Now, it's still there. It's not a, It's not widespread. But for parents that are listening, they may be affluent, and they may be have the opportunity to give their kids everything, and I would say don't you know, make them earn it. And, uh, and I think those are things that allow them to thrive when they get on college, when everybody's good, or maybe in the pros, if they're even lucky, let alone the workforce.
1: Absolutely. And that's a message that is right in line with obviously competing every day and, and the message we want to spread on the reverse side of that. What are you seeing in elite 11 youth athletes that's giving you hope for the next generation? Yeah, well, a ton. And, and I, I have a ton of hope in this
2: generation. You know, I've, I've got great optimism. I think uh, I think the guidance of that is, is what we just talked about. I think what I love about this group is that they are seekers. You know, they're seekers of, hey, I need answers, right? Right now, we are in an era that is dramatically anxiety-ridden, much more depressed, and much more connected to a device. I was at the Pac-12 basketball tournament a week ago and I followed the basketball players out of the locker room just out of curiosity one day. And 90% of them had their head down. These are like six, six plus, just looking at a device. And I'm like, dude, you're in like one of the greatest arenas in all of sport. Take a look, like enjoy it, embrace it, but we're in this world. So what does that mean? That means that you've got to be willing to seek things out. And that's what I see from these quarterbacks. They're like, okay. I got 20,000 followers overnight because I was offered by Clemson. How do I deal with that when I don't want to go there or if I want to decommit or how do I just deal with the pressure of my community? How do I deal with women? And and I think at Elite 11, on behalf of our staff, the football, we crush. That's easy. But it's the other stuff that I think we thrive in. We call it beyond the X's and O's, you know, the holistic part of the quarterback position. And we go hard there. We go hard on – education around sexual violence and sexual assault and how these athletes can be the cure to ending violence you know i did a film on that with alexis jones called mm-hmm. protector that sarah bordeaux directed um, we talked to them about mindset with dr michael gervais we talked to them about the fun that you have with the power play with an author named kevin carroll uh, we talked about performance and interview skills we brought in two of the top hollywood coaches in all of performance that coach actors daily to coach these guys about how to get truly within their bodies when they're communicating versus giving canned answers. I talked to them about branding and marketing along with guys like Jeremy Darlow, uh, one of the top marketing gurus, I believe in athletics. So we try to really ultimately get them to learn what their voice is, understand what their voice is, and then strategically know how to share that. And at 16, that that's hard, you know, but I found that these guys that they all want to learn it and they are big time learners as all quarterbacks I think are. And, we pride ourselves on our group, you know, we don't get it always right every time, but I found over the last nine years now with Trent, this is my 11th year. We really are doing a good job. I think of giving some tools to these young men for the toolbox they may otherwise not have.
1: Yeah. I love that. And just even thinking about everything that y'all are pouring into them. It's so dramatically different from when you and I were in high school and, you know, waiting on a dial up internet, just to connect, you couldn't stay on long because the phone wouldn't work. There's not that much information out there, and so now, like, just the social pressures of dealing with a small town and playing sports, and then in college, it's dramatically different for these kids. Like you said, you get 20,000 followers overnight, and then people are screaming and cussing at a kid that they don't even know because he doesn't want to go to their school. Like, it's just insane to me, and but it's awesome to hear that. Some of the best are being equipped, but a lot of them are showing that passion to learn and develop and set themselves up in a way that guys that don't have that attitude of wanting to learn and grow are going to get passed by regardless of how good of talent they have.
2: Yeah. I mean, we see it all the time, you know, uh, big-time recruits that don't make it. And I think that the hardest thing to figure out now, and I talk to when I talk to athletes, the first thing I bring up is, do you love it? And it's okay if you don't, you know, and we ask the quarterbacks, do you love what football brings you or do you love what you can bring to football specifically? And in recruiting, it's the same deal. NCAA really hamstrings coaches in my opinion, only in football compared to other sports in terms of how they can get to know student athletes. You know, you can be a basketball coach and go to Vegas and watch every kid You you be a volleyball coach and literally coach a high school kid that you're recruiting on a club team. Football, yeah. You can't go to elite 11. You know, so the kid has to go to your camp and by then, it's kind of over in terms of recruiting, and if it's not, you get 20 minutes with them. Like it's hard to really get to know if a kid loves the craft, and what 17 year old doesn't love being told he's sweet? Which is exactly the era we're in. So I think that's really a huge part of it. And that's why I think we're, we'll see more busts in this era than in the history of college football. And we have uh, because guys don't love it. You know, they love what football brings them, in which they should, because it's giving them opportunities. Like Snoop Dogg's kid, great example. Yeah. Nice young man. Clearly didn't love football. That's cool. But it brought him a reality show on ESPN. It brought him tons of you know opportunities to set him up for life, which it should do that. But that's the blurred line that's hard, and it's hard for the kid because you can get burnt out. It's really hard for the parent because they may be blind to elements of that. And it's definitely hard on the staff of trying to evaluate. So we're in an interesting era. And I think it only forces us to take a deeper dive into, I call it the iGen, this iPhone generation of how they think, what they love, what they're about, and say that it's okay to have all these diverse thoughts, uh, but you need to love them, whatever it is that you're leaning into.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You talk about the device side is especially there was an article just a day or two ago about new Cardinals coach, Cliff Kingsbury, giving players – breaks social media breaks throughout team meetings and people were just like what what why would you need this and a professor from ut a university of texas uh coach darren roberts that coached some nfl in college he talks about he structures his class in 20 minute segments one topic to give quick breaks because he knows the kids are going to go to their phone regardless and he said if he can build that in he can control their attention on the either end of it i'm curious from your end obviously you're seeing it on the player side and at the basketball tournament, a prime example at elite 11, how are you guys encouraging life outside of just the device?
2: Well, we're encouraging it. I mean, that's the best part of sport, right? Like you sit next to somebody in your locker, in your locker room that got a different background. You know, my, my roommate, my first two years in college was Antonio Bryant. For those of you that may not remember him, he was all American Blitnikoff award winner from the heartbeat of Miami, yep. right? I'm from the heartbeat of the sticks in Pennsylvania, yep. very, very different worlds. My last two years was Larry Fitzgerald, the guy who grew up in professional locker rooms, right? So sport just naturally does that. So are you looking up? And I talked to uh, Larry the other day and I said, what's it like in the league now? And he talked a lot about his uh, teammates and some of the younger ones are on their phone all the time. And he enjoys conversations with, some of the young ones that want to have conversations. And I think it's a tough balance because you want to build your brand, you want to take advantage of your time there, uh, but you, you gotta be human and, and you have to connect. So we, we talked to those guys about doing that, you know? And I also think that the skill, getting back to Cliff in psychology is not the ability to focus for 90 minutes, it's the ability to refocus. Can you refocus? You know, we were doing that at SC a long time ago, um, I think he's doing it in a different way now. And, and I think that's a skill. We, we look at the form of what he said, and it's about a device and 20-minute break. But the essence of it is, can guys drop in for 20 minutes or 20 seconds in a football play? And can they drop out and then drop back in? And that's a trained skill. So, yeah, if it's just to go check your Instagram, clearly nobody's a fan of that. But if it's to stretch your legs, reset, and come back in, of course. Like, who doesn't love that? So, yeah, I think it clearly got it a little bit overblown, but I understand both sides of that. Why, why it did.
1: Yeah. And just another example in the beauty of sports, can you refocus when you get your head knocked off, when you have adversity you throw an interception, are you going to refocus the next play to let it behind you learn from that and continue growing just the same as we do in life, get loss of a job, loss of a relationship. How are you going to refocus and get back on the right track with your life, which is the beauty of sports, uh, man. If, this has been great. So for anyone that's wanting to get connected with you, you have a fantastic podcast. Uh, you put out some great content online. Where can everyone go to follow along with your journey and the work you're doing? Not only at the PAC 12, but beyond. Yeah. Well, real quick on that last note, uh, an acronym that people may enjoy we use in
2: quarterback play all the time. It's called pace plays after critical errors. So I chart them all season long of when someone, a quarterback makes a critical error an interception, fumbled snap, a bad read, an errant throw, what's he do the next three snaps? And we're tracking that to see what your pace score is. I talked to Jared Goff about it. He goes, I still think about that now of, if I throw a bad pick or whatever in the, in the NFL, in the Super Bowl, what's my bounce back like? And, and I think of the same deal, right? Relationships, life, a bad presentation. Uh, so, so just to throw it out there, people may uh, enjoy that one.
1: How do you, well, so, let me ask you on that note, how do you encourage them... To shake it off, like how would you? How are you shaking it off in life? Yeah, well, there's a couple strategies.
2: You know, one is uh, self-talk, right? Positive self-talk. You know, the more and more positive self-talk you have, even if it's "I got this, I'm good, let's roll," you can slip into flow. So psychologically, yep. that, that's the only way you get there. You don't just drop in and start, you know, making every jump shot. Like you've got to be, "I got this." You can't touch me. I'm good. That's why, like. Uh, uh, Rick Barry was so impressive as a shooter in the NBA back in the day. He was, he was asked once, if I missed the first 10 shots, what are your thoughts? And he said, well, look out because I'm a 60% shooter. You know, like he knew himself so well. Um, and I think you can curate that. I think you can literally curate, you know, blitzes that you can't pick up in practice as a coach. Oh, that's good. Let's see how he does the next snap. And then you can talk to guys about that constantly. And, and it really gets back to what we talked about is getting to know yourself so well. And then for coaches, and Pete used to always say, you got about six seconds. So when a quarterback throws a pick, I can make myself feel good and say, I taught you that, why'd you screw up? Or I can elevate his performance and say, okay, cool, that was my bad. We didn't go through that look. This is what I want you to do next time, next snap. And you literally can curate that. You know, another way Carrie Walsh Jennings does it, she'll spell a word out prior to every time she serves. and. Excuse me, her word is pass. So she'll sit there and she'll go, P-A-S-S. And then boom, she's locked in. Be where your feet are. She's connected to it. So we have our quarterbacks pick a word. They all pick pass. Of course, of course they would. (laughs) Um, There's another, Russell Wilson. And Manny Wilkins did this at Arizona State after we taught him about it. He looks into the stands pregame every game and picks out a spot wherever it is, and that's his recenter spot. So when things are hectic on a third down, he can look to this side. Let's go, you know, and you just give yourself these moments so you can create practices, best practices to be able to reconnect and reconnect and refocus and refocus. And I think there's brilliance to that. And I do it in broadcasting. Like I I screw up sentences all the time, doing a game for three and a half hours. (laughs) I'm going to screw a couple of them up. And I used to harbor those plays. And that would lead to a bad sentence, a bad drive, maybe a bad quarter, God forbid, a bad half versus now, like you just move on. You know, or I re—I correct myself. I'm sorry, I mispronounced his name. It's so-and-so next step, you know, and it's, it's giving yourself the freedom to not be perfect, um, which is a challenge in this era. So we
1: talk about that a lot. That's awesome, man. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate you being willing to share that as well as it looks all perfect on TV a lot of the times, but I know there's chaos behind the scenes and Sounds like you know how to handle that chaos now, but I'm sure like many things it came with reps. It's just getting the reps over and over and over and over again. So now that you know how to recorrect, if you have that mess up and you don't let it get you because you're used to doing it now on camera. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a skill. I mean, I look
2: back to my first year on TV and probably anybody on air would say the same thing is I can't believe they let us let they let me on. You know, it was terrible. Um but this is why we, why you grow is my 11th year broadcasting. You know, this is a career and I hope I do it for another 30 years. You know, if I can celebrate sport, what a gift. And I tell myself the same thing prior to every game is celebrate the game and coach the viewer. And those are my two jobs. Celebrate the game. Cause without ball, we don't have this podcast. Nope. I don't have a job, you know, it doesn't exist. And if we're not coaching people, then what are we doing? If somebody's giving me a headset saying, we think you're an expert or have some expertise on it, teach. So I, I really uh, I really live that or try to every game. I write it on my call sheet every broadcast to remind myself my only job versus selfie. Hey, I'm sweet, check out my new suit. All things that are part of the job and part of the form of the job, but the essence of the craft to me is always about the game, which is why when people in sports, if they you know bitch and moan or complain, I am the first one to slap that down because it's not okay. You know, we don't exist without a ball. There's ways to improve and elevate our community, our company, our core team, whatever we're working with. But there is no room to complain when you get to work around sport. The only thing I believe we should do is celebrate and teach.
1: I love it, man. And that's obviously your focus on helping others, teaching others, coaching others has led to why you're successful. Uh, it's, It's a common trait. You see it pretty much across the board. If you're focused on helping other people improve and get better, you find your own success along the way. Yogi, you've got a movie coming out, uh, in August, uh, September, sometime ta- time frame. Tell us a little bit about that. And then where can we go to check out your podcast?
2: Yeah. Thanks, man. Uh, the film is, it's rad, man. It's called the Cape and uh, long story short. Uh, it's about five people who never met sail around South America, Cape Horn, Which is known as sailor's graveyard the most dangerous sea in the world and we openly talk about all of our fears and what drove me to that was when i was an eight-year-old i got a journal about this guy whose life fell apart at 25 and he got in a boat and sailed around cape horn for 387 days in 1857 and 1858 and i read about cape horn and i became obsessed with it i was like i gotta see what is this place where all these oceans collide and i went for it and i went to see it the hook is that that journal is my great great grandfather's journal so it's been passed down so i went down to chase this and what i learned along the way as i met four other random people was oh we all got our own stuff and uh it's a really fun film it's about 45 minutes um it'll come out this fall again we'll tour it around during football season um, it'll force you to find out where you came from what your relatives and history was like and i and i would imagine it's going to force you to want to travel and explore and go on an adventure so that'll be fun and then uh my podcast is easy. You can check it out at uh, yogirock.com um, or anywhere you get your podcasts—Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know, all the all the spots where, where your podcast is as well. And uh, I hope you like it. It's all about sport and humanity and trying to figure out uh, what it means to be human, you know, with people who live high performing lives.
1: Yeah, it's uh, sports it seem to be the tie that connect us, but the conversations on your show are about so much more. So, man, thank you so much for making time today. I appreciate you coming on the show.